At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The special edition of Make It Plain, there's so many things going on. People talk about inflation. There's always a great deal of focus on gas, gas, fuel, fuel, fuel. But the fact of the matter is, in our communities, there is disproportionate concern and crises around housing, and particularly around rent and around eviction. Our panelists have come together to form a new venture or an, an upgrade of a venture that Brother Miles started that will be addressing this issue and many, many more. The issue of rent and evictions, the issue of police accountability, the issue of the assault against our history being taught in our own schools. These are some of the things we're going to take on and we're going to ask some of you to join us in this movement. They've set out on this venture and um, they've asked me to join them in this venture. They may regret that ultimately. Uh, I think one of them already does. So without further ado, we want to introduce the two individuals who will be our panelists to get this conversation going about rent and evictions and what are we going to do about it. First of all, let me tell you the name of the organization, Community First Solutions. Community First Solutions. And if you got the flyer, there's an, a Dinkra symbol uh, that is the symbol of the logo. Kevin Miles is the founder and president of Community first solutions and we all have known kevin and gotten to know him and love him for all of the great work he's done over the years as a part of the naacp he was um in many many respects um one of the naacps in history one of the naacps most prolific organizers and did a lot behind the scenes they didn't get credit for, uh, like many true servant leaders do. Um, I remind everyone, if you look up, I'm a minister, but if you look at minister in the dictionary, the first definition of minister is a verb. It means to serve. So all of us can be ministers, whether we wear the collar or not. Um, Kevin has been a freedom fighting minister and a minister of our community as a part of the NAACP for years. And now he's stepping out to do some other things to expand. Um, and so we welcome him, Community First Solutions, the president. Thank you, Kevin, for being here um, and for organizing this. Secondly, we have the um, co-president of, uh, <laughs> of, of Community First uh, Solutions. Um, this is a this is a co-regnancy. Um, our sister, who is a political 
organizer, a campaign organizer, a political and campaign guru. She is one of the go-to people. And she's also someone who has unique skills and a unique portfolio to assemble us to talk about problems and to try to mediate some things and work out. We, we damage folks. We, we, in our movement, we, I'm just was on it in an, and I'm all over the place. I'm in another movement today. Folks, uh, it has a lot of tension, but that is a result of our experience here in this country. We were meant to be divided. And so everybody ought to think about that when you, when we're organizing and we have disagreements with one another and we're all over the place, uh, think about the source of that. That was meant to be so. And what our sister is able to do is help us get through that. We welcome uh, from Community First Solutions also the co-president, uh, Dr. Kadada Gray. So I'm going to begin with our brother, because this was really his idea. This is one of the first things he said, man, we got, everybody talking about gun violence? Is this news cycle that don't last a few minutes? We got the announcement about Roe. Nobody's talking about it anymore. Now we're talking about gun violence. Now we're talking about January 6th. But we're not talking about CRT anymore as much either. But our schools are still under attack. All the things that are not being talked about on television are still happening. But what Brother Kevin said to me, he said, Brother, where is the news coverage and the conversation about rent and evictions? And so this was his idea. So I want to begin with him that we would have this conversation. This was his idea that we would have this forum. And we'll open with him. Brother Kevin, um, Talk to us about your understanding of, of what's going on. I'm not even sure if everybody, hit, most of us live living our individual lives in silos. I'm having financial problems. People may say to themselves, I'm, this is me. But there may not be a full understanding that this is really something that's going on universally and, and is a crisis and should be treated like a pandemic, the rent going up and the evictions on the rise. So please uh, talk to us about that. And and thank you, Brother Mark. And and Mark is being way too modest uh, in that for as long as I have been doing this work, uh, Mark was doing it before me. Now, now, mind you, we were both only three years old when we got started. <laughs> but uh, but I, remember saying, back at the, up, right. <laughs> I remember back at the Billion Man March, both of us were two little three-year-olds that were out there on the field. Uh, <laughs> But 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 like I say, for as long as I have been doing this work, Mark has been a fixture in literally every of every one of the national campaigns that I have seen. And it, it is I am I'm honored that he is willing to come on board and, and help us with this. But to the issue of 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 rent and for for those of you who have sat through trainings with me before, you will remember I said, one of the interesting things about us as a community is black folks, we only have about 17 days worth of outrage. Uh, meaning you can be furious about something right now, but I promise you, unless there is an organized strategic effort to move it as a campaign three weeks from now, the subject is gonna change. And when the subject changes, the condition will remain, but nobody will address it. So the, the challenge for us is, can we muster up enough focus to understand the things that are critically important and build the campaigns that give them the staying power to bust through that 17-day window 
of of outrage. Think about how hurt everybody was after we heard what happened in Buffalo. You can't even remember them people's names. That's the truth. You know, Uvalde, we know what happened in Uvalde because it stayed on television for a long time. But from the last time it was on television, you got 17 days worth of outrage before we all move on to the other thing. We was talking about Ukraine before that. But what we are not talking about, what we are not spending time on is more than half of black people in America rent. More than 70% of them just got a rent increase. In fact, I pulled up some numbers uh, and, you know, this was this was shocking to me. Average wages went up in the country about three percent. Right. No, I'm sorry, about five percent. Average wages went up about five percent. But the average price for most goods and services went up eight point six percent. And the average median rent went up 17 percent. So even if you got a raise you still don't have enough money for your rent. Now, I want y'all to think about this. Most apartments, if you want to go in and, and get a lease, you need to make three times the, the rent in order to qualify for a lease. I want y'all to think about how long we were out here talking about we, we were fighting for 15. We want $15 an hour. $15 is a livable wage. I don't know why we tell people $15 is a minimum wage. This is the problem when you have campaigns that you don't, follow all the way through and that 17 days of outrage expires and people stop working on it because our goal expired. $15 an hour is $31,000 a year. $31,000 a year. The average median rent in the United States is about $1,800 a year, which means to qualify for a lease, you need to make about $65,000. So even if you had two people in the house who made $15 an hour, two people making $15 an hour still wouldn't qualify for a median lease. If you live in Atlanta, the median lease for a two, the median rent for a two bedroom apartment has jumped to $2,400 which means if you need $2,400 for your rent and you have to make three times that to qualify for a lease and you out here making $15 an hour, guess what? You need to make almost $86,000 to qualify for a lease. That's how serious this is. Little subdivision I live in, we have lost seven families, seven. People live directly across the street from me, the people who live next door to them, the people who live down the street. And there's no conversation about where these people are supposed to go or what's supposed to happen next. So I am more than excited and more than thrilled, like I say, to have my brother Mark Thompson on and co-president Dr. Kadada Gray, because uh, both of these, like I say, uh, Mark in terms of organizing is just a, a brilliant organizer. And I've always known that for as long as I've known him. And as you all get to know uh, Kadada Gray, she is a brilliant, brilliant strategist, just absolutely brilliant. And so putting our heads together, and there's also, I also see uh, one of the people who is attending, uh, Kay Brown out of North Carolina, who's a housing organizer. And hopefully Kay, we can bring you on screen so you can talk a little bit later also about some of your efforts out there. But I wanna now throw the microphone back to Mark so he can introduce Kidada 
because Kadad has got a lot to say on this subject as well. Amen. Thank you, brother. And some very uh, sobering words uh, to share. And again, folks, we, we're we're on the eve of the Poor People's Campaign. Um, and, and one of the things that is creating poverty, a lot of us don't call ourselves poor, impoverished. That's, that's a stigma attached to that. But we know, you know, the situation that we're in. And um, people don't choose to be homeless. They're put in that situation. Um, but for the grace of God goes each of us. And that's what we're here to fight. Kadada Gray, what, what are your thoughts about this rent and eviction crisis? Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you for having me. And this is just, I don't know why this has become near and dear to my heart as a political consultant and strategist. And honestly, we actually are calling ourselves movement consultants because we want to take this from A to Z. We want to, we want to move the needle on this. We want to move the needle on these conversations. And we just don't think there's enough of that. And so I want to kind of just point some things out that we don't think about in this housing issue. Yes, of course, we have a housing shortage. Um, to give you some statistics, there's 7 million rentals that are not available in this country. Think about that, that's 7 million. So that's affordable houses, that's rental apartments, 7 million short in the United States of this great America. Houses that we can purchase that's 3 million. And the houses that are being built right now are luxury houses. So somewhere in the range of 500,000 and, 100, and up. So many of us don't even consider ourselves to be challenged housing-wise, but affordability comes in many different shapes and forms, right? So if you can't even, there's no what we used to call the starter homes being built anymore. And if they are present in many of our states, you know, I live in Atlanta, so that means investors are buying up majority of the property in Atlanta. When I live in the policy space, and so I know what it's like to sit in rooms with politicians and listen to them talk about housing and affordable housing. And we have a win because we just had 182 units built and, you know, for affordable housing. And there's an article that just came out in Atlanta that said the affordable housing is no longer affordable <laughs> for the people that need it. Okay. And so policy, I want you to think about this because policy is meant to represent us. The politicians are supposed to make our lives better. However, what I know about policy is, is that policy is not written with the details. And the details are the human population, their constituents, who they are supposed to be representing. Because if they were thinking about you, myself, Kevin, Mark, they would understand things like, well, we're about to have a single mom be homeless. She has nowhere to go. We're going to have our favorite cafeteria lady be homeless because she has nowhere to go. And I will also want to recognize, too, that even if you do own a house, that you are quickly approaching homelessness. You know why? Because you can't afford your property taxes because you might be in grandma's house that has been there for a long time. It might even be paid off. But someone built a pop-up mansion next to you that's worth $1.3 and now your property taxes has increased. You know, we don't think about the other social implications, and it's evident that this is not a crisis, a vital crisis, where we're waving flags and we're marching in the streets every day because we don't think about the 
a divorced a family that's being that's going through a divorce. I bet you have never thought about that, where, where a couple is going to be stuck in a home that's unhealthy for children, that's unhealthy for the two adults. We're not thinking about that. We're not thinking about a woman that is trapped in a home in a domestic violence situation because she cannot afford to go live on her own. And let's be frank and honest, most of us who do the social justice work aren't making 80, 90, 100, $120,000. I know people who work in the social justice space that cannot find housing. And they're going back to things like, can I find a roommate? Here I am 60 something years old and I need a roommate. So when we look at policy and what to do, we need to start fighting for the details. Right? The details are us. And then we have to remind ourselves too, because I know we have, a, we have a space for landlords, we have a space for tenants, and, and the community around that is very divided. You know, most people had no idea when that emergen the emergency funding came from the pandemic. Did you all know that landlords didn't have to take it? And they could just put you out anyway? <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and during the pandemic, rent was still kind of stabilized for most of us. So imagine that, that you think you are following the process and yet you can still get put out. That's scary for our families. And I wanna point out, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, that I'm, I'm a conflict strategist. That means I study conflict for a living. I mean, I, I study the internal, the external conflict with us individually. And I love my people. I love black folks from the diaspora, every inch of blackness everywhere. And I feel like we have a generational curse upon us that we have never discussed. And that, that is the idea of survivability. We know how to survive. We know how to make do. And if you're a single black woman with children, you know how to make do. You will hustle everything up to make sure that rent is paid. If, you, if you're a family, you know how to move grandma in, grandpa in, aunties, uncles to make do. But that's unfair. And it's unfair because we are not breaking a cycle. And we need to start breaking the cycle. And breaking that cycle means we need to hold our politicians accountable. Accountable for what it is that they're supposed to do for us. There is no heroism in this idea of survivability. We're struggling. We can't, we're not even surviving fast enough to keep up with what is happening in the world. We can't survive enough to figure out how to pay $2,400 for rent. And that could be for a one bedroom, a two bedroom, because a three bedroom definitely doesn't cost that. <laughs> in Manhattan, a one bedroom is $4,000. And so we're not, we're not surviving well enough for us to have to even move outside of the survival mode. So now we have to teach us what to do to move to take the next step. So I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop and, and keep, and I'm, I'm gonna sit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sit and be quiet. <laughs> no, we, don't, we definitely want you to be quiet. We appreciate that uh, with what you share. Uh, Brother Kevin Miles, so, uh, Talk to us more about the disproportionality that's taking place in, in our own community um, and why we need to be particularly sensitive to that. You know, this is this is one of those things that's 
that also like Kadada said, people don't make this connection. We don't actually talk about this. We know that housing prices in neighborhoods that are predominantly African-American are undervalued, right? But did you know that in a, in a neighborhood, once that neighborhood tips and it becomes more than 60% or 70% white, the average home valuation increases pretty dramatically, right? So in this crazy time period where, you know, housing prices have been shooting up through the roof, I literally, this is no exaggeration, I literally get no less than five calls per day from people trying to buy my house with a cash offer. And the reason is my house is dramatically undervalued because all of my neighbors are black folk. But what they understand is if they can come in here and bust up the neighborhood and start paying cash and buying some of these people out of their houses, all of the housing, all of the home values are gonna shoot up through the roof right? We'll end up with our little five pieces of silver and then find out that, you know what, you really can't even go back and buy what you already had, right? Because all of the prices have gone up everywhere. So we'll end up priced out moving back out of the city. That's another thing that people don't realize, even in a place here like in Atlanta. And Kay, I, I, I see you on there because I, I want to tip you on North Carolina. But even here in Atlanta, you know, as these prices are going up, we talk about places like Atlanta, like the Black Mecca, uh, these folks who are having to move out of their apartments and move out of their houses, they're not finding more places in Atlanta. They have to move out of the city. You know, Kadada referenced the fact that article came out that said the affordable housing in the city is no longer affordable. All of my neighbors, the seven families who moved out of my neighborhood, they didn't move somewhere else in Atlanta. They left Atlanta. You know, I got a, a note just the other day, and, and I, I hope I'm not putting you out there, I'm not gonna say your name, but this is from a retired teacher. You know, a retired teacher who here in Atlanta said that, you know what, they were, um, when they first moved here, they didn't know if they wanted to stay. So they were just gonna rent for a while and see, you know, how that worked out, see if they, you know, fell in love with the place or not. And now all of a sudden, this retired teacher is worried about homelessness. Right. Because that's the situation that we find ourselves in. You know, there's another brother um, who I hope he's able to join us tonight. I send him the information. If he is, I'm going to bring him over. Uh, 63 years old, uh, a veteran uh, was living in uh, a place where, you know, he, he was renting a house. He had a few bedrooms, but it was nice. It was modest. It was affordable. They raised his rent three times. And after raising his rent three times, the third time he couldn't afford to stay. So he had to leave. And in order to leave, he had to downsize dramatically and apply for help for a program from the VA. But the VA is so backed up that they need 120 days to help him out. You know, the rental assistance programs that are supposed to be helping us out, the rental assistance programs are backed up. So they're literally aren't very many options for us as a community, especially, uh, you know, because once these things happen, um, you know, I had a friend of mine who was looking for an apartment not too long ago, and all of the apartment buildings were saying, well, if you just check back with us in a couple months, we're going to have a whole lot of people who are going to have to move out because they were looking forward to the moment when they could start evicting people, right? And, and like I say, none of this is going to get better unless we get better. And we have to get better at focusing. 
we have to get better at, you know, deciding, hey, this is something that we're going to stay on. Uh, we need some some common strategies, which we'll talk about uh, on, on what those could look like, because like one of the other things, and, and this we'll talk about when we get to the strategy section, uh, for these people who are going through these eviction hearings, the majority of landlords have counsel. You know, fewer than 10 percent of people who are getting evicted have legal counsel. You know, so what are you supposed to do when you are already struggling, right? Financially, you are not making. You find yourself getting evicted. You're trying to go through court from somebody who literally has legal counsel. They have all these people. They have all this stuff prepared. And you in there trying to defend yourself while you're dealing with literally Maslow level needs. So, you know, none of this is going to get better unless we do something different. You know, I love what Kadata said earlier about that generational curse, because sometimes we think that because we can live through a thing, that's a badge of honor. But I do know this. If you were to die tomorrow, um, there is no award that you win for long suffering. Right. At the end of this, you, you're not going to get a trophy for how much stuff you endured. <laughs> right. I, I see you, Minister Mark. But, uh, but. You, on, you on my street just this week alone. <laughs> but that's right. I had to tell some folk the other day, G Jesus was on, on the cross three days. That's right. I said, y'all trying to keep me on the cross for you know, <laughs> 10 days, two weeks. Yeah. They're uh, not, uh, they, they not passing out plaques for long suffering at no, the no, end no. of this. No, three so, days. You know, that's it. We, we are out here celebrating our ability to cope with things that we have the power to fight. Some of the stuff we need to fight back against. You know, yeah, you can you can stretch a dollar and, you know, you know, make make a meal that, for your whole family from the dollar store. But why you got to? Why don't you have a grocery store? You know, you can figure out how to get it all done on the bus and, you know, you can travel. But why do you have to? You know, why can't you have a livable wage? Why can't we get our streets fixed? Why can't we have goods and services in our community? Why can't we have fresh fruits and vegetables? You know, why can't the services that we pay for actually provide the things that they say that they do? Correct. And why do we think that good enough is good enough? You know, mm. it's not. Mm. And yeah. right now we are looking at folks struggling and we but like I say, because we are so historically linked to the struggle. That we are not intuitively connecting with the unfairness of it. Right. Yeah, we all struggling. We can we can say that without even batting an eye. Yeah, you know, I'm struggling, but you know, I'm 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 making do. But why? Why? You know, brother Mark, you and I, we about the same age. Kadad is only, you know, 25 years old. But uh <laughs> but but I do know this. I know that I have paid taxes out of every check I have ever earned, all the way back to when I was 16 years old. You show me a 52-year-old white man, I have paid as much in taxes as anybody my age anywhere. So I want to know how come some communities have things that I don't? How come somebody's got a hotline where they can call and, you know, get some help with their rental stuff? How come the, the, the home evaluators and the home appraisers treat them differently than they do when they come to my neighborhood? Why am I getting five calls a day from people trying to buy me out for cash so that they can cash in when the home value shoots up when my black behind don't live here no more? Why am I dealing with that? 
You know, and if we're not angry, it's because we're not paying attention. I'm going to stop there because I see Mark. I, I got Mark hopping in the seat a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. This is this is a good conversation. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So, uh, Kadata, what, 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 do we, what do we do? What is it? How can we organize people? Because what we really need, when I was in L.A. recently with Bishop Barber, the, the homeless have a union in in la uh maybe maybe we need a black renters union or something i mean what is it what do you what do you see as some of the ways we need to organize to work together to try to do something about this all the black folk in atlanta and watch i'm in washington dc right now which used to be chocolate city is now chocolate chip and all it's all about talking about oh we didn't gentrify we're being pushed out we can't afford to stay here but nobody's organized and we got numbers in all these places. That's why they move it. They couldn't move us out if we didn't have the numbers. That's the point. We got the numbers. Y'all got to get up out of here. And with our numbers, we just look, oh my God, what's happening to us? What are we going to do? What do we need to do to get in the frame of mind to organize? Kadana. So the first thing I'm going to say is I see everything that you guys are saying in the chat. So I'll try my best um, to answer some things with, with my own answer. So the first thing I want to say is, and it's so simple, is like, can we have some conversations with our neighbors? Because if you're struggling, more than likely you, your neighbors are struggling. And this is not an opportunity to feel as if you're living by yourself through this struggle because everyone is struggling. And we are not going to build coalition if we're not speaking to each other. That sounds very simple, but I know it's very hard because human nature makes us want to feel like we're going to be able to handle all of this ourselves. But if we want coalition, if we want to affect change, we really need to start building capacity. And the politicians know that more likely we're not speaking to each other. Okay, so that's the first thing. So I see we have NAACP people on here. You guys have got to start making this a thing. Make it a safe space to have this conversation. It's not enough just to answer the phone calls of people needing help. It's, that means it's time to have a meeting. It means invite those same people that are struggling to a meeting because I know that they're scared. I know that they're um, challenged right now and probably the last thing that they, they need is a meeting, but they need to come together so that way they understand they are not alone, okay? The next step is you have to start doing your research about where you live, what your municipality's rules are, okay? Because what's preventing the increase of of building affordable housing or zoning laws, okay? And so I, I was interested to find out because when Biden was pushing his um, budget and we all know how that kind of fell flat and it got shifted and whatever, I had no idea that Biden had decided that in his budget that there was gonna be funds put aside for states to, and counties and local governments and all that kind of stuff to build multifamily housing. And that is going to be one part of our strategy in the United States, because we need to have the understanding of like a lot of us who are from the Northeast, 
we grew up in duplexes, multiplexes, and we didn't have a problem with it. And yet in the Southern states, there's an issue with this idea because home ownership is the prize. You can still own a home in a duplex, I promise you. <laughs> and so we have got to know how our zoning laws work. We need to be able to speak to our legislators. That means you now have to really start having relationship with your legislators. That means the, the state person, your city person, that delegation and your congressman, your congresswoman, all of that. And I'm actually gonna say this, as much as I love the federal level government, it's gonna take way too much time for them to start at the top versus what happens at the, at the bottom, right? Because in the United States, our law dictates to us, which is a, a good thing that local control is a thing. So when everybody works in silos, which is, which is helpful to the developers, <laughs> helpful to certain municipalities, but it's not helpful to the individual person, okay? And so we need to start knowing in how to ask these questions. Well, why is it that we have a developer who's building 180 units and we're, we're proud because three of those units are affordable? That's unacceptable. Unacceptable, and I've been in those meetings where we're championing those things. And I get it, we are struggling to survive, but being homeless is not a good look. It's not, it's, it's just not a good thing. It's not healthy for us. It's stressful on our children, because guess what? If they find out that you're homeless, they're gonna take your babies from you and the cycle continues. And it's just, and guess what? Even the foster care system, the children aren't even going into homes, they're actually staying inside of the buildings that the foster care system is housed and the children are living in those buildings. So think about that. They're literally sitting in the office next to you in the cube next to you, that's where the babies are living when they get taken from the families. So we are in a moment of, we need to hold people accountable. We need to know that when they put up the public notices, we show up at those meetings because we want to find out what city council is telling the developers. Like, why aren't developers having skin in the game in regards to affordable housing? Who's affording the $700,000 houses? It's not us. No, and then I'm going to say something that, um, yes, I see impact fees. I see mixed housing. Mixed housing, too, is also starting to get caught up in the luxury housing market. <laughs> because now affordable housing, affordable housing can range from three hundred dollars to 500000 And let's just talk about the people that we don't really, we, we know about the homeless. We know about the middle class. And the middle class used to be where we could all live comfortably. We could make up to 200000 We knew we were in the middle class. But what about the people that we deem our workforce? Because some people don't even like the phrase workforce housing. Our teachers, our EMTs, anyone that's providing us services to keep ourselves healthy, they really cannot afford to buy these homes. And so we need to start asking for zoning rezoning laws. How do we rezone? We need to talk about some of these developers. How do we actually have them inject skin into the game about what it looks like for our communities? And for God's sake, stop selling grandma's house. Because when they offer you 40000 and they're, and they're going to sell it for 600 
you haven't won because the taxes on it are going to kill you. <laughs> Say that. It's, it's not there. And so I see someone says the master plan in the League of Cities. Well, guess what? We're not at the table. We're not at the table. And so it's disheartening to know we're not at the table. And I know why we're not at the table. I think I said to Kevin a couple of weeks ago, we need to be marching and protesting 24 hours a day. And because we are in survival mode, I know we're at work. But what we need to do is start marching in shifts. We need to protest in shifts 24 hours a day <laughs> because we are getting nowhere. And so I see someone said, no such thing as affordable, affordable housing for who? We need obtainable and sustainable housing. We do, but in the United States, we need to have a shift on what does housing look like? In other countries, we have people who live in container houses. We have people who, yes, I see income-based housing, but no one's gonna, no one's building anything for anyone that makes $15 an hour. I promise you that. Because they're gonna feel like, oh my gosh, you can't sustain that. Or that $15 an hour person looks a certain kind of way, is a certain kind of way. So they don't wanna do that. And yes, talking about NIMBY, not in my backyard. Here's what I always thought, that NIMBY was just a white liberal thing <laughs> until Atlanta and I realized that black folks are also part of the NIMBY crew <laughs> because I feel like they have come up amnesia. Like last week you were in a, an apartment and this week you're in a house and all of a sudden you don't want apartments in your, in your district because, oh my gosh, the population density, way too many apartments, way too many cars. So all of a sudden we have amnesia because we've so-called made it. And we've left everyone behind and we've left everyone with nowhere to go. And then also as a black community, we need to get back to some things that were fundamentally ours. That was not something that the white community used to do even way back in 1800 and whatever. But we used to have everyone live collectively. And, and honestly, with the way of the economics right now, we may have to swing back to that. <laughs> because if our kids go to college, they're coming out, they can't afford the rent. And if you can't afford your rent, then more than likely you can't co-sign for them. You're not making enough money when they come out and get their first job. And so what we need to come back to, can we please take grandma into the house? Can we please bring everyone back in so that way we have a space for all of us to live. Because in the United States, because I'm Caribbean, it is the concept of independence is real. Like I need to leave my house. I need to be an adult this way. I need to have everything by the time I'm 23 and it's not working under this economy. And I did see someone say, can we discuss black retirement communities? I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> So you just brought that forward. Mark, I'm gonna stop right there because you guys are teaching me something right now that I'm over here taking notes because I didn't know that was a thing. Amen. Interesting. Amen, amen. And, and hey, Brother Mark, if I could, there's two other things that I wanted to tack on if, if I could uh, get on the coattails of what Kadada was saying because there's two things that I think everybody here needs to try to work towards where you live. Um, one is called the T-O-P-A, it is the Tenants Option to Purchase Act, yeah. right? 
I, I was contacted by an older gentleman who was living in a rent-controlled apartment. The owners of that rent-controlled apartment sold the building to a corporation. And DJ Chandler, I saw you were asking, you know, what are they? What are these corporations doing with these places when they when they buy them? They're just jacking the rents up. So this uh, rent-controlled apartment, they sold it to a corporation. The corporation didn't care about the people who lived there. They doubled everybody's rent, literally doubled it, and told them that they had 90 days to either meet the rent or to get out. You know, So what a Tenants Option to Purchase Act would do is it would say that if the owner of the property wants to sell it, you have to give the tenants the right of refusal. So they have to take the offer to the tenants and allow the tenants to say collectively, do we want to pool our money together and buy it? And if the tenants refuse, then you can look at selling it outside. But you shouldn't be able to just get a quick dollar by selling it to some corporation who literally doesn't care about any of the people there because they never even met them. Right. And then the second thing is there needs to be some centralized database for complaints from tenants about landlords, right? You have buildings like, I, I will tell you, uh, I live in um, the city of South Fulton here in, in Georgia and our mayor, you know, God bless him. He moved into an apartment building that was run down historically to try to bring attention to the issues that were going on inside of that apartment. But again, like I say, there is no award that you win for long suffering. You got all those folks who live in there. They've been dealing with this month after month, year after year. But just like Kadada was saying, there is no safe space for everybody to sit down together and talk about the commonalities of their struggle to try to figure out their way out of it. So all of them are sitting in a dilapidated building year after year, everybody's making complaints about the same landlord that all go unanswered. None of this stuff is databased anywhere. There is no common strategy. And when he gets tired of dealing with it, he has the option to just sell it to somebody else who flips it and puts everybody out on the street. <laughs> so those, uh, are, those are some things that we can do immediately. Amazing conversation. I, I believe you want to bring Sister Kay up. Yeah. Yes. Can we do Sister Kay Brown? Can we bring her up? Uh, Kay, you should have uh, a prompt to come over to the panelist side. Hello, hello. How's it going? Hey. It's 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 going great. It's well, as great as it can. Kay, introduce yourself. I, you you're a housing please. activist. Yes, yeah, so I am the state organizing director for the New North Carolina Project. I also serve on the um, North Carolina NAACP State Conference um, as communications chair. Um, but in my work at the New North Carolina Project, we are organizing right now a Black-led base building efforts. And one of our key core issues that we're organizing around is housing. Um, so some of the approaches that we had was to do just what it is that you all were talking about is go out into community and actually start talking and having conversations with people and putting people together. Um, because that is one of the pieces that's missing. We spent two years in a house, two years being, you know, plugged in on social media. So we have a lot of people who are social media warriors, but we need to get people back out on the, like, 
on the homeless. But we need to get them back out in the streets as in canvassing, as in talking to their neighbors, as in understanding that there's a collective liberation to be fought with this together. Amen. Cassandra says, hello, KC. What y'all doing tomorrow? <laughs> Where y'all gonna be? Look, I'm looking like what? I'm like me. Where am I? I'm gonna be. Yeah, no, no. Cassandra just put in the chat. Hello, K. See you tomorrow. <laughs> I was, I was thinking Cassandra was talking about the poor people's campaign. Uh, is that what you're talking about, Cassandra? Or what? Are y'all doing something else tomorrow? Y'all doing something else tomorrow? Well, let us know so we can come too. All right. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Look, I forgot. Oh, y'all work, working. Y'all got a committee meeting tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Proposal hey. up, Cassandra, tomorrow, so you'll see it. <laughs> um, no, Kay, thank you for your, your service and your insight. We need housing activists like you. Uh, Brother Kevin, are there others we want to bring into this conversation that we have? Uh, you know what? I do see, and uh, Sister Kay, I'm going to put you back to the other side. If you just give me thank one. Thank you, Kay. Thank second. you, Sister. Uh, Mark, yeah. while we're doing that, can I kind of talk about the idea of language around, because I see Harry Harvey, thank you for saying about this idea we need to stop using the phrase affordable housing. Um, because I think language is important because it draws a visual. And so, you know, I, I toy with the phrase because we can't get our, we can't get the phrasing right. So affordable housing used to be something, like I said, entry level, middle class families could afford that, right? It was affordable on the income to which they, they were able to earn. And we seem to be fairly comfortable with it. Um, and then Harry, I see that you work in the low income housing realm. And then, so you're saying, let's now switch the phrase, stop using affordable housing to um, income-based housing. Well, the problem with that is, is that that also comes with a stigma because the people at the lowest end, the visual that is on for them is different than someone that's in the affordable housing or what's in the workforce housing market or that or utilizing that language. And so I'm not saying it's fair, but I think we also have to be mindful because it would not surprise anyone that if you put in income-based housing and it's at $15 an hour, what type of housing would you get, right? Because people have this idea and this vision of what this is supposed to be like. I liken it to when I moved to the South, I'm a Caribbean girl, I'm a New York girl. And in New York, we live in apartments. Apartments are a thing. It's not even an issue. I moved to the South and, and found out that being in an apartment was a problem. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, these poor children that live in apartments. <laughs> I'm confused because I was like, what's wrong? And they would list off all the problems that come with children that live in apartments. Oh, and their families don't know how to raise them right. And they have lower test scores and they have all because they live in an apartment. And guess what? Oddly enough, now that that argument's going away because most of this rent costs more than people's mortgages. So 
I, I hear you about the income-based housing, but you have to wonder where are all of our socially just, socially active developers? Black ones, Latino ones, white ones that are willing to build this type of you know, build this type of housing without concern of, I need to make a markup of 150% to line my pocket. We need to start having those type of conversations as well. Thank you, Brother Mark. We got Sharice Boyd. Sharice, how are you? God bless you. Introduce yourself to the audience, please. I think you muted, Sharice. I wanted to get rid of the background because I know it's a nonprofit. Um, my name is Sharice Boyd and I live in Atlanta. I mean, I, I used to live in Atlanta. I live in Daytona now and I sit on the executive board for the NWACP and I chair two others, social justice and a prison reform. And in our county, when it comes to affordable housing or sustainable and low income, what they've done is we were really like the most affordable place along the entire East Coast beat, um, shoreline. And unfortunately that got advertised and what happened after COVID, a lot of people from New York, they sold their houses for a whole lot of money. They bought houses here like dirt cheap in comparison and they're banking. So the issue is they couldn't afford to live in New York anymore and they've moved down here. So they're pushing us out basically. That's really what's happening. And the organizations like the corporations, the big builders and developers that have come here, they're building houses at the rate that they know the people who are coming can afford, not the people who are here. So the indigenous and those who live here and I live in the poorest zip code in the county, 32114. We have eight times the amount of deaths in Black families, murders, um, sexual abuse. We lead, Our county leads the state in sex trafficking. So we have issues and we're trying to find housing for people, people who have been victimized. You know, we can't even put them in shelters because we have no place to build shelters. No one will build shelters. They will only build these very expensive, cheap houses. <laughs> They're all wood. They go up overnight. Or... They buy up a lot of land and they wait for someone to offer them the best deal. So I'm fighting right now because I'm running for office. So I'm fighting with people to get income based. And the reason I'm using that term is because when we say affordable, that is a fallacy. It is contingent to whomever is talking about it. So that doesn't fit us. But income based would fit because even our government employees, they're, they're facing this problem. They're homeless. They can't afford rent. And I worked in public protection here. So I know if I made as much as I made and I was struggling, how much they make, they make half what I make. So, and we have people in the military who are homeless. Like we literally have people who pick up extra weekends and reserves because they're staying on the couch of our friends. So they'll just go work extra weekends. So I don't really know the solution. I mean, I do know the solution. We are our problem. We create our own problems. We create our solutions, but Unfortunately, I think we as a people, because I knock on doors, I talk to people, what we have to do is we have to petition legislature. It's not just talking to each other because we have no power. You know, in a city at the county level, we have Burt's Law. For those who don't know, that just tells the county that we can't tell developers not to build and we can't infringe on their profit is basically what Burt's Law is. But that's it. So in my state, in us, what we're hoping is we get um, Nikki Frieden, because the Sadowski fund, you know, they put a hold on it here. We're, we're under DeSantis, need I say more, but with the Sadowski fund, and I don't know any other way we're going to get this, even, I mean, the NAACP, I think if we all band our branches together 
and we do something like we together get a lobbyist, hire a lobbyist or whatever. And we present the act before them as an organization, because I know we're saying putting it on our people, but let's be honest, like every branch is not necessarily as active as another. So I think if the heads of those branches, like the presidents of each branch work with us and we give you all a plan and y'all submit it. And I think that's really it. And you go to lobbyists because Nothing else is going to change. I've Googled this. I work with people on all aspects and I tell them Florida law prohibits. There's only nine states, I think, in the whole country that have um, rent stable. Like you can't raise their rent. New York, California and a few other places. They did it through legislature. Why don't we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. We appreciate you as well. So we want to do this. We're going to get some closing thoughts, folks. And we said we only go about an hour. Uh, this will not be the last conversation that we'll have on this. Um, uh, Co-President Gray, why don't you give us your first closing statement? Let's try to leave people with, with something that they can do, something they can start to think about to organize, to do something about this. So I think the first thing to do is really look at your own personal situation first. I'm also, I'm always going to start with self because I think we're in the midst of it and we, we miss some things. So start with yourself and start looking at who you need to go ask. Do a little research um, about housing, about where you need to go. The call the legal defense fund, start doing some research so that way you can be an asset to your neighbors. Um, and that way you can start sharing information because the information is, is there, we just aren't looking for it and we're not sharing it. I, I wanna say that this is not a fight that's going to um, end tomorrow. We're in this for the long haul. So my other, my other thing is keep beating on the drum. You have to, you have to. And that's really simple, but every, I'm telling you, legislators, I promise you this, they don't, they don't have to receive a million emails to say we have a problem. They just need to hear consistent emails. They need to know that there's people watching them start being those people and ask for what you need. Be very specific. Don't leave it up to them, or you're going to be surprised with what you get. Right. Um, Mr. President, your closing uh, thoughts. What yeah. are we going to do? And how yeah. are we going to follow up with people? What, what are, folks, this is just a conversation, but there's going to be follow-up and organizing that we're going to be doing and helping you to do, right? Yeah, and I want to, first of all, let me, let me thank all of you uh, for remaining on our email list. Uh, because that's how we're going to be sending out some of this information. We are going to work with a number of organizations who have already started the process of putting together some legislation for what would be a National Tenants Bill of Rights uh, to try to put some of these pieces in place so that we have some measures of protection uh, at, a, at a federal level. There are some Tenants Bill of Rights or Renters Bill of Rights that are state-based in some areas. Uh, but the, the problem with that is some are better than others, some are hit and, and, and hit and miss. Uh, but the one thing that I want to leave you all with, and for those of you who, you know, who I've been working with over the years, uh, you know, I lived in a community uh, when I was in Kansas. 
where a wealthy white neighborhood, they had a water treatment plant. Uh, and the developers went out of their way to build this water treatment plant so that it looked like the homes that were in the area because they wanted it to fit aesthetically. But they used blue tiles on the roof, which the homeowners in that area literally went nuts. And because they were donating to campaigns, they were vocal, they were connected, they were active, they demanded that the city pay the fee to remove the roof and put up shake shingles because they thought it would be too ugly for them to have to drive past a blue roof on their way to work. That's the power that a unified community actually has. We have that kind of power if we demonstrate that kind of unity, but we are this and this is, I'm gonna say this. This is gonna hurt some people's feelings. I know it's gonna hurt some people's feelings, but that's that's part of my job is to just be honest. We have gotten so used to losing that sometimes we care more about the style of the fight than the outcome of the fight. We can win some of these battles, but the way that we win may require us to fight differently than the way we have become accustomed to fighting. So you might have to do some stuff that we haven't done. We might have to make some partnerships and some allegiances and some alliances with groups that we haven't worked with. We might have to step way the hell out of our comfort zone in order to get there, right? But I promise you, we can get there, but it requires us to stand together and to fight because you know what? None of this stuff, crazy as it sounds, None of this stuff takes place in a vacuum, right? Somewhere in your city, there is a development plan. There's an organization that put it together. They know where the money is going to get spent. They know what communities are going to get it. And they know where they're not planning on putting it. You know, uh, the question is, how come we are not even, not even how come we are not in the room, but how are you going to get in the room? That's what you got to figure out. Our level of activism has to be greater than showing up and speaking in the public comment section at a municipal meeting. By the time you speak in that public comment section, the decisions have already been made. You gonna have to try to figure out how you get in the room when the actual discussions are taking place on where the money is actually gonna go. And if you're not in that room, then we're gonna have to start getting together and doing some unified strategy work that is different than what we have been doing. And that's, that's, that's what I got to say about that, Mark. So I want y'all to be on guard. We're gonna be sending you some stuff because we are really gonna try to get out there and push uh, and, and work with these organizations to put together a National Tenants Bill of Rights but outside hmm. of that, we need you all to be working inside of your communities. Find out what's going on with your rental assistance program. Are they backed up? If they are backed up, how many more resources do they need? I promise you, whatever money they need, you can find it if you just start going through your county commission budget and you start going through your city council budget. I promise you, they're spending money on some, some nonsense that, uh, that they can get away with spending it on because we're not checking. But go in there, find the money, and, and figure out how to plug the hole. And you know what? You're not going to be able to be everybody's friend. And that's okay. 
You're going to have to make some enemies. But in this moment, that's what our community needs from us. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So, Brother Mark, I throw it back to you. We want to thank everybody for joining us, especially our panelists from Community First Solutions. Listen out. You're going to be hearing more from Community First Solutions and inviting you all to join us to do some of this organizing around a number of these issues. And this will not be the last public conversation we have. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.